And I'd just like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Tuesday, April 19, 2011. My name is Petty Officer William Selby with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating our call today. Uh, we are honored to have as our guest from Afghanistan, Major General Patton, Deputy Commander of Army with MTMA. We are honored to have you as our guest today, sir, uh, for our blogger or I'm sorry, for your final Bloggers Roundtable at the end of your 19th month tour in Afghanistan. Uh, note to the bloggers on the line, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Respect the general's time and keep your questions succinct and on the topic of the NTMA Army. When you're not asking a question, we ask that you keep your phone on mute as a courtesy to the rest of our callers. Uh, with that, sir, if you have an opening statement, the floor is yours. Well, thank you very much. This is uh, Major General Gary Patton. I've a number of you in the past. Uh, I regret to say that uh, this is probably my last August round table, as the officer uh, said. Uh, this is my uh, 18th month, not 19th. Uh, unless uh, he knows something I don't know. not being extended here, but I, I am planning on... Uh, uh, redeploying here in uh, about mid-May and I headed home after 18 months uh, working for a NATO training mission in Afghanistan. Um, I would like to uh, make a couple comments and and uh, and take your questions as, as we've done in the past. First off, I, looked, I, I spent this morning uh, at a breakfast uh, with a U.S. congressional delegation uh, led by Speaker of the House Boehner. Uh, and several other uh, members of U.S. Congress. And the question that uh, the congressional delegation asked me, I think, is open for tonight. And the question was, how is the Afghan Army doing? Uh, and the way I answered that question this morning, I'll just start out with you all as well, and then we can uh, go any direction you want to go with that. And I really broke my answer down into uh, two parts, quantity and quality. You've heard me say that before, but, but I'm going to today from a perspective of 18 months and also some things we've seen just over the last month. From a quantity perspective, the Afghan Army is growing. Uh, this past month, between uh, February and March, the Army grew by 4,739. Uh, currently sits at the uh, strength of 159,363 on the way towards uh, the growth objective this year of uh, 171,600. Uh, every indication is that the uh, FBI will make that goal um, and then some. The, uh, the Army is growing not only in, uh, in end strength but also in officers and NGOs. Uh, this month the uh, officer ranks uh, grew by uh, over 700, which largely due to the uh, graduation of the National Military Academy class that graduates every year in March. The officer corps uh, grew by a total of 740, and 29 of those graduates were uh, graduates from the National Military Academy. The NCO Corps grew by uh, 262 in the month of March. As we've talked about in the past, there's still a deficit in the officer and we continue to grow every month, and we expect that the current deficit uh, for officers and NCOs will uh, be at a, about a 90%, uh, will be at a fill of about 90% of the 
vegetable, we continue to make, uh, uh, make progress in growing officers and NCOs into the Army and filling those, uh, those ranks. On the quality side, uh, well, one more thing on quantity. Also on the quantity side, the, uh, the Army continues to make its retention goals.
and Afghans are taking the lead more and more, both the individual training base, the leader training base, the yeah, collective unit training base across all of Afghanistan. Today, 23,000 soldiers in, in training, uh, and that's part of the, uh, the overall growth program. And so with that, uh, I'd be glad to take your questions about uh, anything I just talked about or, uh, or any reflections over my uh, time here in Afghanistan. Back to you. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with Shelly Michaels. I don't have any questions right now. Roger that. Anand? This is Anand Chaudhuri from Registan.net. At the projected end state of the ANA, could you please break down the number of ANA combat battalions with three combat companies and the number of ANA combat battalions with four combat companies. It appears that the plan to increase the size of every ANA combat battalion to four combat companies has been delayed to grow the number of ANA combat battalions. Over. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Let me, uh, I'm going to do some mathematics here while, while I'm talking to you, um, add up the battalions, but it's a fair question. I can uh, address uh, what, the, what the bloggers uh, refer to is a program by which um, in the past year, we uh, generated a number of, uh, it was an infantry focused year, and the units that we uh, built, generated and uh, fielded into the Army new units were primarily infantry battalions. Uh, infantry battalion with three companies um, of about 600 soldiers. This year our focus is on fielding enabler units, and by enabler I mean support units, engineers, military intelligence, uh, route clearance units, uh, supply units, and so forth. Uh, and also our focus in that this year is to generating and fielding with companies with the battalions which had previously been, and by this, you essentially added 25% greater combat formation. And the infantry battalions are about 800. And uh, the reason, obviously, is to increase the combat power within the time. So this year, while we're building neighbors, uh, we're also essentially thickening and increasing the combat power of the existing battalions by additional companies. We're about three quarters of the way through that process. We still have about companies to uh, generate, and then that will give every battalion, and this gets to the caller's question, this will give every single infantry battalion in the F will be uh, comprised of four infantry companies, a heavy weapons company, and a headquarters company. And that's because of this year's project to add four companies into the existing three company uh, formations. Um, I'll take another question, and in the meantime, I'll count up the infantry battalions, and I'll give you a, a good number as to how many of that, uh, those apply to. Again, 100% of the battalions at the end of this year will have the four companies added into their formation. Back to you. Thank you, sir. And Chuck Simmons. 
earlier, uh, probably late last year, um, there was some discussion about holding tribal leaders and tribes responsible for the conduct of, uh, in, of their men and the uh, police and in the army. With the uh, highly publicized uh, events where uh, soldiers are turning on um, NATO and American troops. Um, is there any follow-up going on where um, these soldiers, um, villages or tribes or tribal leaders are being uh, visited and there's some sort of uh, discussion about uh, about um, their behavior or, or reparations asked for? For the, uh, the longer that I, I got part of that question, I want to make sure I understand it before I uh, answer it. I, I think you're asking about the uh, process by which uh, there have been um, several events here past where uh, Afghan soldiers uh, essentially turned on their coalition and uh, Afghan partners and uh, engaged them. And what is the method by which those uh, individuals have been screened, vetted, accepted into service, and so forth. Is that is that the gist of the question? I'm prepared to answer that. I just want to make sure I have the right uh, frame the question correctly. Over. Yes, uh, that. And is there any pushback to the soldiers' tribe or tribal leadership uh, about their conduct? Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, what I'd like to do to answer this question is really talk about the that there's a there's a three prong to uh, ensuring the integrity of the uh, and, and the uh, and screening and vetting of the uh, of the uh, soldiers brought into the army and those that serve in the army. So let me take you through the uh, the, the three element approach. The first element is the vetting process by which a new that's an eight-step vetting process. Part of that, one of the steps is the step that Carl referred to, and that's uh, tied back to the, uh, the village of the, uh, of the recruit. That's called a, a guarantor letter. Every soldier coming in the Army has to have two guarantor letters from village elders, educators, polos, and that sort of thing from their home village. It's a key part of the recruiting process. Uh, it's an Afghan cultural tradition. Village elders testify in this the recruits' identity, to serve in the ANSF, the uh, security forces, also certifies the recruit, formally reminds him of his responsibility to bring honor to his village or tribe during his service. That's one of the eight-step vetting process. Another step, I won't go through all eight, but another step is the Tascura. The Tascura is, a, is an identity card in each of the region. Uh, each Afghan, I mean, to show their Name, date of birth, location, and then their Tascura number, which is essentially their equivalent social security number and their picture. So that authenticates their uh, essentially home of origin. Uh, another uh, step in the vetting process is medical screening and drug testing. Um, uh, and, and part of the medical screen is to look for uh, ailments that would prohibit a military service uh, and, a, and a series of ways in which uh, a doctor. Uh, Uh, assessment in the military. I mentioned the drug test is part of that. And then uh, the last step 
information shared with uh, various U.S. databases uh, where uh, criminal matches uh, are, uh, are, are all that information in the biometric database is examined, which leads to further investigation with the uh, Ministry of Interior and the Ministry of Defense. So that's the screening process. And just to give you a data point, um, in the month of February, uh, we had 6,270 recruits come through recruiting stations, and 5,540 were accepted into the military. So that, that left out, if my math is right, about 730 uh, that were not accepted. That's about an average number, about 700, 750 that are not accepted every month that apply as recruits, but not accepted into the Army due to, again, medical screening, drug testing, underage, overage, uh, failure to have all the documents or just plain lack of motivation, maybe just walk away from patient due to lack of interest or it poorly adjusted uh, the Army was about. Uh, that's the entry part. That's the first element, like screening and uh, a process there. Uh, a second element of the process occurs in the unit uh, where the Minister of Defense just talked to me about this this week. He considers every soldier a set, every soldier in the Afghan army to be able to sense surroundings, uh, surrounding people are able to detect those that, that might have uh, an inkling or a motivation to turn on their uh, fellow soldier. And on top of that, in the unit, is a counterintelligence program. Today there's 220 counterintelligence soldiers uh, trained in that specialty that are embedded in formation. They're at the battalion level, they're stations, uh, they're in the uh, training centers, they're specially trained to detect uh, uh, these sorts of behavior that would indicate uh, a fellow soldier turning on his, uh, on his comrades. And that number of 220 is growing to 434 by the end of this year. So it will double over the course of the, uh, the rest of the month this year. All 434 of those uh, counterintelligence trained soldiers will be uh, embedded within the units. I'm beginning to be enabled, as I speak, uh, the uh, U.S. Army Military Intelligence School of Corporal Chukar, who has seniors over here and also uh, soldiers that we send to uh, to enable that uh, counterintelligence special. Those are some of the elements within, uh, within the formation. And then lastly, the third element of this process is really a continuous systematic approach. Uh, it's continuous education of soldiers to know uh, essentially to where they're surrounding, vulnerability, look for impersonators, uh, you know, what are the indicators of, uh, of soldiers, not true soldiers wearing a uniform, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and also the accountability system. Uh, we just launched last month a army-wide personnel accountability inventory. Uh, we call it an RUS Army PAI, Personal Asset Inventory. The Afghans call it PASAFIA. And uh, the Army PASAFIA means full and uh, open accounting. And that will uh, occur over the next uh, eight months. Every unit uh, inventory, uh, every personnel check, a head count, everybody, uh, every person entered into a biometric database, every soldier checked against pay records to ensure that uh, they're getting the proper the amount of pay matches the pay by which the uh, the army uh, army payroll. So there's no so there's that uh, which accounts getting paid for. So I just described the three elements of a uh, uh, for the 
purpose of ensuring those in the Army are uh, protecting themselves or, or uh, one of their surroundings or detect have the uh, reason to turn against them and that the Army is only accepting, assessing those into the rank in that screen. Is the system foolproof? No, it's not. Uh, and I don't, now in, in this current conditions and environment, I think it'd be impossible to make it foolproof. But the anti-army is striving to uh, really improve this system so to uh, greatly reduce the opportunity when anybody might have that motivation. Right. Back to you. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up real quick. Uh, yeah, we got If there's time at the end, we'll, we'll I'll give you a second to follow up, and uh, we have a few more we got to get to. Thank you. Sorry about that, uh, Paul. Hi, sir. Thanks for speaking to us today. It's uh, Paul McLeary with Defense Technology International. Um, I was wondering, if, as far as the training with trainers, um, could you give me numbers for how many Afghans are in the pipeline now to be trained as trainers, and, and what your goal is, um, and also. Uh, what do you need as far as the number of, of NATO trainers that they still don't have? I know up until recently there was a few hundred bills still open. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really going to center my question around the, uh, the first part of that, if I could. Um, do expect uh, on the, uh, the NATO trainers, uh, we've improved uh, contributions, and in the, uh, I'd say the weeks ahead, we're likely seeing some additional international contributions in that line. I'll just leave it at that. I think we'll see some some of those contributions uh, coming through here in the coming weeks that will make a significant difference in our trainer uh, numbers. So I'll, I'll leave that for a future announcement and, uh, and national decisions and so forth from uh, uh, to contributing nations. Let me focus my uh, response into the uh, Afghan trainer trainer. This is a, uh, a huge program, and, and I describe it as our ticket home. Because uh, you know we train the Afghans to train, and they train themselves, and that removes and re greatly reduces the uh, requirement for uh, NPMA, NATO training mission, at Afghanistan. Uh, and and the Afghans in there would be squarely in the lead of doing their own training. That's our ticket out of here. Uh, let me give you some numbers. Uh, the Afghan National Army Training Command, uh, which is essentially their training and and uh, that's how we would refer to the U.S. Army TRADOC. Their TRADOC, or ANATEC, E-N-A-P-C, uh, currently has uh, about 3,500 instructor positions. Our objective at the end of this year, December 2011, is to fill 80% of those positions. Uh, that's about 2,780. 80% of the authorized instructor positions. Now, why did I choose 80%? That's our goal. 80% is our goal because right now we have about 85% uh, of the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we're, we're rising between 80 and 85% of the mission uh, officer positions filled. Uh, same thing on the officer side. Uh, so this year's goal is really matched up against, you know, the, the, at, the, at the end of the year what the Army rank will be like in those NCO and officer ranks. And uh, I think it's reasonable to uh, keep the instructor ranks uh, on par with the, uh, the overall NCO officer manning. So we should, for 80% of all of the positions filled by the end of this year. Currently, we got 2,000. So that uh, breaks out uh, uh, the current best deal um, against our objective, 2,700, we got 2,000 filled. That's about 74%. We're striving to be 
eighty percent. And that's I uh, that two thousand. I'm sorry, that two thousand uh, Afghan trainers being trained now, or two thousand are actually in the field training Afghan troops. Yeah, there's two thousand sixty-one assigned Afghan instructors. Okay. In the field training. And you look they train training. NCO training and officer training and also unit training. So. 2,061 instructors today assigned uh, for doing that training, and um, it's against the, our objective this year. We want to have 2,783 by the end of the year. Um, so that's where we stand today. So we have a little more to go. Uh, now, that's just the quantity side. On the quality side, it gets to the other part of your question. Uh, we want to make these instructors as good as they can. So that was a program called Training Instructor. Uh, of the uh, currently assigned instructors, uh, we have 1,309 of them that have been through uh, a level of training instructor certification. Uh, and so that's 47%. We want it to rise to 60% by the end of this year. Our goal is 60%, currently at 47. 
the uh, the ones we have to a bigger number. Is that you follow that? Yes, sir. Thanks very much. Thank you, and uh, Gail, you were next. Thank you, uh, General Gail Harris with the Foreign Policy Association. I was wondering, uh, in your opinion, what is the biggest misperception the American public has about the training uh, effort over there, and how would you like to see it corrected? Well, I think I'd uh, answer it this way. Um, the misperception maybe is that the coalition is performing all of the training and, the Af and we are training Afghans in, our, in the entirety. Uh, that was the case about a year ago. Um, but since then, they, by virtue of the program that the Afghans are training themselves, uh, and we, the coalition trainers, in close overwatch. Uh, I'll just reiterate, you know, we, we basic training. Uh, and the Afghans are squarely in the lead in uh, leading basic training. For NCO training, the St. Officer training, uh, the branch schools where we do special, yeah, a mix of uh, coalitions still in the lead in some cases, especially in some of the specialty courses like engineering, explosive ordnance, uh, and so forth. And then in uh, other uh, schools, you see the Afghans in the lead. Uh, I'll relate a, a visit six months ago I was at our logistics branch school. I had a Hungarian instructor teaching a class of uh, 30 Afghan soldiers out of the mechanics. The Afghan, uh, there was not an Afghan instructor present. Uh, I was there uh, two weeks ago. Hungarian was in the corner of the classroom. The Afghan sergeant was in the lead. Uh, and th and this, uh, in this case, all 30 students through first grade literacy training and all had notebooks out and pens and with pens and paper and were taking notes from the Afghan instructor. So that's the difference of about six months of the literacy program and a combination of the uh, Afghan uh, trainer program. Um, and then, like I said, uh, we, we still have a ways to go in, in uh, the Afghans being a majority then in the lead of the unit training. And, and, uh, so I guess that's what I would say is the best. And that's why. When we get visitors over here, I, I follow our American coalition leadership and visitors out to the uh, Hubble Military Training Center. Go straight out to basic training, hospital training, and other uh, venues, and, and they see for themselves that Afghans are in the lead coalition. And where the coalition trainers is helping the trainers and manage and do their training planning. And they still need work there, so we're still valuable, uh, valuable. Uh, the Afghans, as they uh, put their training plans together, they resource the training with mission transportation, with, and uh, we're still helping them out. But term class of basic training agents, officer candidates, or what have you, uh, the Afghans are, are in the lead uh, in, in that initial, in most of those initial entry uh, training uh, venues. Over. Thank you. And John Doyle. Yeah, 
Thank you very much, sir. And uh, thank you to the, all the blogger participants today and uh, for your particip participation, sir. Uh, with that, if you have any closing comments, you can go out with those now.
Also, if you want to send those numbers back to me, I can forward it back to the blogger who originally asked the question. Um, other than that, I'd like to thank everybody again for uh, joining the call today. Uh, if you have any other questions about this program, please, please contact the Department of Defense New Media team uh, at bloggeroutreach at hq.afis.osd.mil. Uh, again, thank you to the general and our blogger participants. This concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.